When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Okay, welcome in to the post-Minnesota Vikings Denver Broncos Purple Daily podcast-only version. Matthew Collar and Judd Zulgad here in the Minnesota Vikings press box looking over now a quiet U.S. Bank Stadium, Judd, that at one point was as loud as I have ever heard it at the end of a 27-23 win. There are many places that we could begin following this very crazy game. Where would you like to start, Mr. Zolgad? Um, I think right here. What a weird game this was. And, and the fact that, to your point about this crowd, is they didn't exactly leave at, at halftime, but going into the locker room, the Vikings were very deservedly so, I thought, down 20 to nothing. They were essentially booed. They deserved it. This was, here's the weird thing. This was the Indianapolis game a few years back in 2016. This was the Buffalo game last year. The only thing is, and I full disclosure, I truly believe that you certainly got some help from the Broncos. The difference is you won it, right? You know, the Colts, you, the Colts, you came out and no-showed for four quarters. You got blown out, embarrassment. The Bills game was weird, sort of the same thing. The only thing is, at halftime, the Vikings played a really stupid and bad first half, but I didn't feel that, that they were, Matthew, necessarily no-showing this game. And then, sure enough, second half, offense comes out, runs the two-minute drill for two quarters, looks damn good. They start to put things together, and it completely changed. But I, it was just – it was such a two-different-halves game – and, and I do give the Vikings credit that they won a game that a couple times that we've seen the same game here at U.S. Bank Stadium. They basically at halftime said, we're checking out now, see ya, and they lost it. Yeah, and, and in this one, you have to credit Kirk Cousins for the second-half comeback, which is a thing that we always talk about and ask about. And it's not his first one ever, that's for sure. The uh, you-like-that moment came from a second-half comeback against a bad team, and he was sort of reacting to that, and it became one of those viral moments. Uh, he didn't have one of those after the game today, but in the second half, they played back, they played conservative, and Kirk Cousins shredded them. And, and I thought on many different levels, Vic Fangio deserved to be criticized for this game, uh, but maybe that was the biggest. There were some in-game management decisions that were really abominable by the Denver Broncos, including in the end of the half when the Vikings fumble on a kickoff, they decide to throw into double coverage 
being aggressive, throwing it 20 yards down the field and get it picked off by Anderson Dejo when they had a chance to really put the bullet in the Vikings and then not going for it at one point on fourth down and kicking a field goal and missing that field goal. Uh, there were a bunch of different things that ultimately cost the Broncos from their decisions. And, I mean, if you're a Broncos fan, that's got to drive you crazy that they keep doing this, that they keep losing games like this. But to stick on Cousins, though, he finishes 29 for 35, 319 yards, three touchdowns, a 133 rating. If you had told me he was going to finish with that stat line in a win after the first half and the way that he looked and the way that he was playing, I would have said never, no way, no chance. He was sacked five times. He was strip sacked. It looked very much like one of those 2018 games where he was a deer in the headlights and just no-showed entirely. But then as soon as Denver got more conservative and didn't pressure him at all it seemed to get a lot easier for Kirk Cousins and then here's a plan Judd throw it deep to Stefan Diggs all the time keep doing it and if you haven't done it for a little while remember to do it and then do it again because it's very clear that when teams are one-on-one -on -one covered with Stefan Diggs that Kirk Cousins going deep to him is an unstoppable strategy and I think all those things put together, the, the way Denver managed it, the way Denver's defense backed off, and Kirk Cousins being really, really excellent when he's not pressured, all those things combined for this comeback. And, of course, four big plays at the end on that final drive by J. Ron Curse, four different occasions yep. where he was able to have great coverage or knock balls away. And, and that, of course, was another part of this win, which we can get to. But with Kirk Cousins... Does this mean anything to you that he was able to do this? Kirk Cousins, first half of today's game, 11 of 12, so that's not bad. That's pretty good. 58 yards, sacked three times. And then I'm looking, Matthew Collar, at receiving totals for the first half, and I see uh, here's Kyle Rudolph, here's Irv Smith, here's uh, B.C. Johnson, Dalvin Cook, hmm, C.J. Ham. Abdullah had a catch. Guess who I don't sure see? Sure did. Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs had one catch, which was wiped out by a holding call on Riley Reef. Um, you know what? This does this. Here's the thing. I think that Cousins deserves a lot of credit. The second half, what they did was an accomplishment. I believe they scored on every play or every series, I should say, in the second half. Now, that being said, though, I also think that they dialed up the right plays. I also think that they made changes. I also think they got smart. Again, none of this is ever to me about telling Kirk, go out there, Kirk, and save our butts. Because Kirk, that's not Kirk. It just hasn't been, and we've talked about it before. Uh, but what they did, I thought, was they made adjustments. They made smart adjustments. They, I don't know if they started today's game mentally on the bye. I don't know if they did what a certain guy in, in the Twin Cities sports landscape Media did this past week, which was dismiss the Denver Broncos as a not you good team. You mean you, not me. Um, yeah, I don't know what happened here, but, you know, this team came out and it was not really prepared to play. And then the third quarter starts, and that changed greatly. And so, so does Cousins get credit? Absolutely. He does. He deserves it. But I also think as a, a team that they changed things, that they became engaged, which I know it's professional sports. You should be constantly engaged because you only play 16 games. Uh, and I also thought a big key to me was the fact that Stefan Diggs, Stefan Diggs has the ability to take control, I think, emotionally of this offense. And you know what? Some QBs can, some, you, some QBs can't. If Kirk started to yell and scream, it's just an act like no one's going to look and say, yeah, this is emotional Kirk. Kirk is better off uh, playing the corporate quarterback, which he's good at. 
He takes direction. He does a good job there. But I love the fact that Diggs got emotional and Diggs melted down and then Diggs caught the touchdown and went nuts and the crowd went crazy. Stefan Diggs, it, if he doesn't wear a C, he certainly should because he does. He is, to me, the emotional touchstone uh, for this offense and did a great job. And I thought things really changed as he basically said, this is BS. He probably said, I haven't caught a ball in the first half. What are you people doing? Yeah, there, there's, no, there's no question the game changes right there in terms of even who I felt was going to win at that point. I mean, with the first drive that the Vikings score on, it takes 18 plays in six minutes. And you know that we've seen this before when they were playing New Orleans last year, when they were playing Chicago, when you have these long drives that take up a ton of the clock, there's just not enough time left for you to win. If they were going to win this game, they needed to hit a big play, and Stephon Diggs is the guy who's always been there to do it. And once again, a win without Adam Thielen, a big performance on offense, ultimately without Adam Thielen against the defense that had been quite good this year and looked really, really good in that first half. And they were able to create a ton of pressure with their front four in the first half. But part of it was that Cousins seemed to be tentative in the first half. Like he didn't want to move around the pocket much. He didn't want to take shots down the field very much. And I don't know what the adjustment was, but he came out with a, a different demeanor. And maybe that's just because they weren't putting on as much pressure. But I thought even in the first half, he was creating his own pressure in, in a lot of cases. But that's what Kirk does at times. Right. When he looks hesitant and he looks a little sketchy there in the pocket, that's yep. when you know this could be trouble today. And what we haven't seen in the past from him is him work his way out of it very often when it looks like it's going to be the hesitant Kirk it's rare that he ultimately kind of turns it around. I mean, in Green Bay, for example, he throws the interception late. He looked bad early. Right. He looked bad late. Kansas City, there were times where he looked okay, but they needed a bunch of screen passes to move down the field. In this case, he just slung the ball around like crazy. And I've thought this for a while, Judd. Going back to New England last year, where they were in a two-minute drill when Kirk was having one of those bad games, and then he led them down the field, and it looked really good. And I wonder if one of the ways to snap him out of it is say, you go call the plays or you get out there and you run no huddle. You run two-minute drill and, and don't give him much time to think. Just get up to the line of scrimmage and start making plays. That might be one of those things. I think Kevin Stefanski, from being his quarterback coach, has a very good feel for Kirk Cousins. And he has to, by now, be able to sense this isn't going very well. We have to make a change. In Kansas City, they did a great job of switching to screen passes to Delvin Cook this time around. Whatever change they made, maybe I'll be able to see it on, on tape a little closer, but whatever changes they made to block better, he had time to throw on third downs, and to get some confidence built up with Cousins was huge. And I totally agree with you. It goes back to the first game, 2016, here with Sam Bradford and Stephon Diggs, where it was the brightest lights, it was Green Bay, it was opening night in this building, and Stephon Diggs took over the game and said, we're not going to lose. Right. I think he is one of the rare players in the NFL that has that capability, mm -hmm. and we saw it here again. Delvin Cook is the, the star of the offense, the centerpiece of the offense, but running backs can be stopped, and we saw that today with Delvin Cook gaining 26 yards on 11 carries. And ticked off digs is great. You can't stop a wide receiver but at this at, in the NFL who plays at this level in these big situations. When Diggs is, is truly pissed off, he's fantastic. Like, he makes every play. He just doesn't care. And... And it did. I mean, it was an affront 
to look at the halftime statistics and see he didn't ha- have a pass thrown to him. He didn't show up because, as we talked about, the one play, uh, which was, I think, a 34-yard gain, two digs got negated by the Reef holding penalty. And so him being worked up, I think, can work. I think it's great because because that can't be Kirk. Like, that is not Kirk. If Kirk starts to uh, rant and rave, guess what? People are just like, okay, it's Kirk. Shut up, Kirk. Go play, Kirk. But if it's digs, it's different. And... Also, though, let's be very clear about one thing. This is a really nice comeback win. You're down 20 nothing at halftime. Credit to you. You come back. You get your, what, eighth win. That's fantastic. But let's make this very clear. The Denver Broncos are now 3-7 and seven for a reason. Just as we watched Dallas last weekend. And you know what? Dallas has some nice personnel, has some nice play. Dak Prescott, I think, is fantastic. Really good, really good QB, right? And they've got Zeke, who didn't have a great game, but he's very good. But you watched that game and how it was handled from a coaching standpoint in Dallas, and you said, that's why they're not so good, right? And today, the Broncos, the second half, it literally was like they're up 20 rip, and they came out and said, and now we're, and now we're not going to lose. Instead of saying, it's our day. We're playing great, right? We're three and six. We have nothing to lose. We're going to we're going to nail this game down. We're going to take it home. We're going to upset the Vikings, and we're going to tick them off. Instead, it was like they came out in the third quarter. And we're like, okay, all right, we're up by twenty. What can we not do wrong? And and their QB, I thought, played a really nice game. But there were so many things on the sideline, coaching wise, decision wise, where you said to yourself. What the hell are you doing? And this is why the Denver Broncos are three and seven. And you know what? We could talk all we want about. Well, they should be six and three, or they should have been six and th- no, that's BS. They are a three and seven team for a reason. So the two decisions that stand out in my mind, one of them is kicking the field goal late that misses. Yep. And I mean, if you make it, maybe it is a different outcome. Maybe you end up winning the game because you could kick another one at the end and, and but that's only going to put you up by you six at the time and, and the Vikings but, offense right. is going great but that is a Correct. that is one of those classic things that yep. coaches do to try and go up six that has been just proven over and over again not to work because the other team plays aggressive they go down score a touchdown you lose it's something that every coach should have seen enough times to know you don't try to go up by six they miss the field goal it gives the Vikings great field position they cruise down and score a touchdown and then you, you know, they have an opportunity to still win the game. Uh, but I think if they go for it on fourth down, there's the potential that they get it and continue to drive and then are able to put the game away with a touchdown. That's what you should be thinking if you're a head coach in that situation when you're up three is how can we win this game? What increases our odds the most? And with your quarterback playing well, your number one receiver just dominating the Vikings. You've got this big tight end who can catch pretty much anything and outran Anthony Barr on a fourth down. I mean, there are opportunities there to go score, go win the game, and and shock the Vikings there. And instead you go, no, 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 let's play conservative here. Even if he makes the field goal, it's still a bad play in my mind. Uh, especially it's not a fourth and long. It's not fourth and 15 or something where you say just take the points. And by the way, you're converting. It's Right. And You've they, been converting. Right, and they were converting all day long. I, I thought that's a one where it should be an easy choice. You're on the other side of the field. Go for it. You've just completed a long bomb pass to Sutton. Like, you're looking good, and then you say, no, 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 no. We're going to pull it back here. We're going to run on third and seven right. to make sure we get three points. That was silly. Why bother taking it out of the hands of a quarterback who had been able to hit throws 
uh, today. And Brandon Allen did make some plays. I thought that was a really gritty, gutsy performance by Brandon Allen. He's not why they lost. He showed some great athleticism, getting out of the pocket and making plays, and then uh, took risks down the field. He was not a dink and dunk type of guy. Um, But from the defensive perspective, they come up big again. And we talked about this a little this week, that they have to be bend, don't break, because they don't have another option because they're not that good anymore. The pass defense um, going into the bye, they did nothing to exonerate themselves and say, wow, in Seattle, you know what? I I think this is going to be fantastic. This pass defense, if not not to use the word scary because that might be too strong, is very concerning. And Xavier Rhodes... My good man looks beyond cooked right now. Xavier Rhodes is not running well. He cannot run with people. It's that simple. He cannot. He is grabbing because he has to. And and Matthew, if you watch him play, there's something wrong here. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a hamstring. I don't know if it's something that, that he hurt early in this season. I don't know if it's something that he came into this season that didn't heal or what, but just watch him try and run with guys. He has to grab them to slow them down. And by the way, in the National Football League in 2019, guess what that's called? Pass interference, okay? Uh, Trey Waynes, I think, has taken a step back for sure. So this, and Mike Hughes, when Mike Hughes is in there, is being targeted consistently and giving up pass play. So it says something... When, when, and hey, credit to this kid, but when our primary conversation right now about didn't he do a great job in pass defense is J. Ron Curse, who they yes. tried to attack and who did a very nice job. Yes. But your cornerbacks, your quarterbacks, man, are struggling. And, and unless you have some idea of how to fix this, I think Russell Wilson's going to pick your butt apart and it's going to be really tough in Seattle. I think this shows you in terms of positional value that the Vikings have been right in spending a bunch of picks on first rounders, though Mike Hughes has not looked good, uh, that first round pick corners and trying to maximize their value like Xavier Rhodes, like Trey Waynes, like Mike Hughes are a good play because they determine a very high percentage of how you defend the pass. Eric Hendricks has had a brilliant season, number one by pro football focus in the entire league among linebackers. That hasn't mattered that much. The safeties have been very good. In fact, even the backup safeties were good today. Sandejo gets a pick, and J. Ron Curse, as you mentioned, comes up huge at the end of that game, and yet you still give up a lot of yards and a lot of points on defense, and if you lose this game... That's probably where we're starting. We're probably starting at, wow, this defense is just not what it used to be. And the last two weeks, they've really gotten away with it. I mean, it's a great point about uh, Seattle and what they've got coming because it's Russell Wilson, it's Matt Stafford, who put up 27 points again today in a loss against Dallas, and then it's Aaron Rodgers on Monday Night Football. Like This doesn't get easy against the opposing teams that are coming up, and they have to find some ways in the bye week to mitigate this issue, but I'm not sure you can when it's can just Hilton flat out your personnel. With more know. time. Yeah, I don't know. I, like mean, I, th- I hate to put my, my cards in that deck, but yeah. there's, there's got to be something. maybe, though. There's got to be something. Xavier Rhodes is currently playing. I don't want to say he's unplayable, but he's it's, it's getting closer and closer. Yep. It's yep. scary to watch him. I mean, at least when Mike Hughes gets picked on, I concede the mistakes and the rookie mistakes, I think, or second-year mistakes, and he's a young, raw player. And you say, okay, he's struggling here or there, but he might be talented. Xavier Rose just can't run, Matthew. can't keep up with people. Yep. He can't. And the, the 
and now, of course, he'll have a week off. But the other scary thing is that Harrison Smith went out of this game late with a hamstring injury. And Anthony Harris was out. And, yeah, but hamstrings, you know, as Thielen has learned right now, take some time here. So if Harrison Smith is out for any amount of time, if he has to miss a game or two games, that's a big, big deal because, man, he made some plays in the first half today that probably did not go talked about or all that noticed but they were still key plays and the guy is just such a smart player and he's such a, a good player and uh that is not that is not good because he was walking around on the sideline with his helmet either politicking to get back in the game or feeling like he might be able to still play and they clearly said no so that is something that could be a concern as well now we should talk about J. Ron curse a little more because he was arrested a couple weeks ago and his snap counts had gone to about zero and he was a guy that just looked like he was on the outs. Just on Friday, somebody tweeted him, hope you're in the Vikings' future plans or something like that. And he tweeted back, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really? yeah, that happened. Yep, <laughs> that happened. And, and I know, right? Like, not a real particularly smart thing to do. And this is why I've always appreciated Anthony Harris behind the scenes and what, and what kind of guy he is. Uh, Anthony Harris, who was still doing some interviews after the game, despite the fact that he didn't play, um, but Anthony's a really smart and thoughtful person just from being around him. And he basically, from what J. Ron Kirst told us after the game, pulled J. Ron aside and said, look, you got to get yourself right because you're not going anywhere. Like this is, this is your time to prove you can play in the NFL. And we know this Judd, that if guys prove to be a bit of an issue and you're not a really, really good player, you're going to be out of the league pretty quick. The XFL will be calling for you soon. Um, or maybe not. They said they weren't going to take players who had been arrested. Uh, but J. Ron stepping up the way he did, I've always thought he was a unique talent, and he's not a stupid guy. Like He's somebody that Zimmer has liked for a long time, and I think Zimmer was very upset with him and didn't want to put him on the field for a couple weeks because of that. But somebody who can be an asset in this defense and showed it today, he can go one-on-one with Noah Fant, a big, giant, athletic tight end, and Fant couldn't get open against him. And he can guard a wide receiver if you need him to. He can guard a running back if you need him to. He's a unique weapon that the Vikings are going to need down the stretch, I think, with their corners not playing very well. Even earlier in the season with the injuries, J-Ron stepped in and played nickel corner. Yeah, he played well, I thought, at the time. He did, definitely. He could do a lot of things really well. And I think this is a guy that the Vikings just need to support, right? Just like after the arrest, that's, that's tough. I mean, that's not a good situation to have yourself in, like a, a driving under the influence with Hughes a loaded gun. Car, My, right, up, that's right, 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 right. This is not a good look for you at all, Correct. and that's what gets you cut or let go. Uh, but if they support him and give him opportunities down the stretch, I think he'll come up big because he has this season. And, and I, I've seen him grow quite a bit within the defense to the point where you do trust him on the field in a big situation, and he came through. And this might be a turning point for – not only him as a person, but his career. I mean, we might remember this game as, hey, that that's the one where this guy became a pretty good NFL player. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but down the stretch, they need everybody. If there's injuries, if Harris is out longer, if Harrison Smith has a nagging hamstring, yep. they're going to need him in. And I think this was a big day for him. And, and it also shows, too, a couple different things. It also shows how much depth they have. They had one linebacker uh, go out with a concussion, Ben Gideon. Eric Wilson comes in, makes some plays. They have both safeties out, and they have two other safeties who are starting level players. 
And it just shows you that the one weakness is just those cornerbacks, but they've got players everywhere else. I, I, I mean, I thought from that perspective, it was kind of big for this defense to get another stop at the end. And, and this type of drama, I'm guessing, is the rest of our season. The offense can do it. We know they can do it. The quarterback can put up 300 yards. The weapons, the receivers, Delvin Cook, they can all do it. They can score 30 points a game. Right. It's the new reality is you're going to have to win these tight games. You're going to have to win shootouts. And down the stretch, it's not going to be easy, but they can put themselves in really great playoff position if they continue to win like this. That's th this league, though, right? I mean, that's that's why I said week two in Green Bay, come back. Yes, you're down by 21. I get it. It's in Lambeau. I get it. That's tough. But this league right now, as currently constructed with, with a lot of teams that are probably on the borderline of being good but not great, win that game. Win in Kansas City. Today, you look like crap. For one half, you didn't show up, basically. I mean, I think they were checked out, but... They didn't show up. Zim, Zim claimed that he told these guys the same thing that you tried to tell me in studio all week, which is this defense is really good. You should take them seriously. And the players and I were like, no, we're not going to. We just don't care. But sorry, Mike. Or sorry, Matthew. So my question, I guess I've got two questions off this, though, which is eight and three going into the bye, seemingly in pretty darn good shape. How good is this team and then, you know, there are certainly games, including today, where I'm like, I don't really know. But then I guess the comeback to myself there is, but this is sort of this league. Like, this conference does not have one team where you say, well, if you play the San Francisco 49ers, you are dead. It doesn't have that team. The Saints, the Saints laid, you know, a week ago, an absolute clunker against the Falcons, who have been terrible. So it's weird because on – on one hand, I'm sort of at a battle of wills with myself about the actual quality of this Vikings team and what it can achieve. But then I say, yeah, but there's no Patriots in this conference. There's no team that you look and say, it's the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers circa 2010, and when you play them, you're dead. That yep. team do does not e exist. So it's an interesting dynamic of, are the Vikings a great team? Absolutely not. Do they need to be? Probably not. Yeah, I think that what we have is is tiers of teams in the NFC where you have your tier of teams that I would say, give me a decent odds on them and I'll put my money down and I'll take any of these teams. And I'm referring to the New Orleans Saints, the Seattle Seahawks, the San Francisco 49ers, the Green Bay Packers and the Minnesota Vikings. Separating those teams is really, really difficult because we're two plays away from this team right here that's now eight and three and gets to be in a great position going in the final stretch from being six and five. I mean, we're like a, a snap away but from... But they could also have 10 wins. That's the weird well, thing about these guys. Uh, could they? Could they though? I mean, Green they Bay. The Green they, Bay. Well, they, and that's right. And Kansas City was close. Kansas game. City was close too. They, they so, won. Yeah, it's weird. No, no, it's a good point. It's a good point. So you're very close to being six and five you're very close to being 10 and one I mean it's a it's a very odd sort of team that can blow any game but can also win any game against any opponent I think they were right there um, to try and beat Green Bay and and you could say this for any of those teams Green Bay has a bunch of games that they could have lost but they won and they've beaten, I think, five teams with winning records, which is more than anybody else in the NFC. So then you have New Orleans, who can go 5-0 and when Drew Brees goes out, but they can also lay a stinker against the Atlanta Falcons and surprise us like that. San Francisco showed some of its weaknesses when they didn't have George Kittle in the game. And Seattle, I still don't think has a great defense, but they have the MVP quarterback. 
those teams are all good enough and flawed enough. Like, good enough to win the Super Bowl or go to the Super Bowl, flawed enough to have something go terribly wrong for them down the stretch or in the first round of the playoffs. That's where the Vikings land, and I don't know at this point how to separate them. I think I'll be able to once they play Seattle and once they play Green Bay. If you go 2-0 and in those games, Agreed. you're a Super Bowl favorite in my mind. Amen, amen. This is why I wanted them to get through today, win this game. I didn't think, think it had to be this dramatic, but what the hell? It, it was fun to watch, especially for the third and fourth quarters today. And now December 2nd, you get your week off, December 2nd, Monday night game, go into Seattle and simply show me. Just show me. You know what? Don't go in there and put your hands around your throat or say, oh, it's Russell Wilson. We can't do this or have your pass defense break down to the point of, of where it gets bad. But go in there and look. I know it's tough. Win that game. If you win that game to me, this conversation now becomes much clearer. And, and then you're, you're right. Packers game, too. But the Seattle game on the road, it's got all the bugaboos, right? It's got all of the things. Kirk can't do this. He's never won on Monday Night Football, which which remains true as of right now. Um, can they come back? Can they do that? Okay. This has to me all the elements to set it up, to shut people like me up. And the Vikings say, you know what? We might not be great, but we're damn good. Yep. And now, and, and if you go into Seattle and win now, guess what? Green Bay week two, I'm like, okay. Kansas City, I'm like, okay. Yeah, you should have won in my mind, but it's not as big of a deal. But that's the game that I just, I'm so excited to see now to sort of define, do you belong in that upper tier of your conference or... Am I gonna start? Am I gonna have to drop you into basically tier two? At, because I think the five teams that you threw out there, I think over the period of the next half month or so, we're probably gonna take those five teams and put them in two tiers as opposed to just one tier possibly. Yep. And Green Bay and San Francisco play each other. That should be a fascinating matchup. I mean, we're gonna get a bunch of bloodbath type of games between these teams and sort of have a, a good sense going into the playoffs who they are. I do think that this game right here essentially, and I always say essentially because it's the Vikings and it's Minnesota and things happen in this state that you would never expect with the sports I don't know teams. what you're talking about. Yeah, I know. Um, this kind of locks them up for a playoff spot, though. I mean, even if, even if they don't play well down the stretch, even if they lose the big games, they sh still should, and I say strongly they would have to fall should, apart. they would have to fall apart. Take care of Detroit here at home, take care of Chicago Week 17, a very much different Chicago team that might be giving up on its coach by then. I mean, they, they'll have an opportunity. You should beat Green Bay here, too. I agree in with my that. Opinion, yeah, I agree with that. In my opinion, home field, you should beat the Packers in U.S. Bank Stadium. Yep, I agree with that. And if they had lost this game, we would have had a boatload of questions about yeah. this team. We would have been saying, wow, they are capable of a meltdown at any point. And I normally would have said, hey, you make that many mistakes in the first half of a game, you're not going to beat Seattle or Green Bay. But Denver did put up 20 points on you. Yep. So this is kind of one of those big swing games for the season that now you feel like, hey, who cares how it looked? Eight and three. Yeah, we're not going to talk, we're not gonna talk about good. this in, in a, a month. No. But the other thing, too, is if you lose this game, then you've got a, a pattern, basically, of Mike Zimmer coach teams in this stadium – that are thought to be pretty good teams laying complete clunkers down, right? Yep. Like, yep. again, it's like, because you know what? You go in to Chicago this year, you look like crap, but you're on the road. Like, it, it's not fair to say a team should never have a, a clunker, which is why I keep saying you should have won in Green Bay and Kansas City. But I think the Bears game in Soldier Field was your clunker. 
But if you have a clunker here against Denver, and now we're talking about the clunker last year against Buffalo, and we're talking about the 2016 no-show clunker against the Colts, that's a pattern of concerning well, th- things. This was also inches away, and thanks Mike Zimmer for calling a timeout with 10 seconds left in one of the worst coaching decisions he's ever made. He called earlier this year going for it on fourth down and missing one of the worst decision he's ever made. Totally disagree. That one was justifiable. Calling a timeout while the other team was going to have to scramble, spike, and then have one play is a much, much worse decision. So Zimmer got his own uh, little share of Vic Fangio-ness. He tried to say he didn't. He was trying to match up with the look. He wanted to see what the look was. But he gave him three plays. I know. And, And what made no sense is Denver offensively was taking their time. The clock was ticking, and, and they didn't Brandon seem to realize Allen they didn't have a timeout. Was not hurrying back to the yeah. line to spike it, and so I, I'm like, "My gosh, he's going to take this down to four seconds." They so the timeout have, shocked me. They might have forgotten about the challenge and thought well, they nice, had a timeout. And left. by the way, Vic Fangio, nice work. You are. In fact, Zimmer said he called the league this week, and he looked at at us post game and said, "I flat out knew they weren't going to o- overturn that. It's been made clear to me that they wouldn't." So what the hell is Vic Fangio I doing? I have no idea. You, that's idiotic. There's a reason it's probably to me as a football fan that he was a defensive coordinator and maybe he'll turn out to be a good coach down the line like Zimmer has. But there's know. probably a reason why he's been a defensive coordinator for so Would long. Would you have thrown that challenge flag in yeah. a thousand years? Absolutely not. No. And yeah, maybe it makes a difference. Maybe it doesn't. But that was not the right move. But then Zimmer tried to one up him by giving the other team three plays instead of one. Yeah, it was which bad. I agree. You don't have to be an analytics expert to figure out three plays gives you a better shot. So it is, it is kind of crazy how one play can swing these last two games that the Vikings can walk away from both Dallas and Denver saying, we feel great, we're a playoff team, we're a legit contender, we're two plays away from them being like, yeah, we're not really. This season has had a remarkable number recently of close, close games with this team, and if that continues, I'm really interested to see how they come out against Seattle and against Green Bay. So that is it for us from inside the press box at U.S. Bank Stadium. Judd Zolgad, Matthew Collar, if you missed uh, any of last week's shows, you'll want to catch this week. Uh, actually, I'm going to take a, little, take a little vacation on the bye week. Why take but, time off? But make sure, well, you know, I know you got to rise and grind, you but. Gotta, dude, you need to do film study. I haven't. Oh, I this will. This is self-scout. No, I will. I'm not taking the whole week. Oh, okay, because this is self-scout week. Oh, yeah. No, I'm going to, Monday and Tuesday. You I'll think Zim's going to take time off? He's going to be sitting Rick in that office. He's going to be sitting in his office in Egan, breaking down the film and trying to figure out how, how to fix a pass defense that remarkably has become this bad. Yeah. Yep. I am shocked by that. Oh, yeah. Uh, Rick right, Spielman is going to talk on Tuesday, so that will be very interesting. But oh, you'll get all, all the make, there. I know, I know, Judd. Make sure you listen on uh, 2 to 4 every single day on 1500 Score North. So thanks for listening to Purple Daily. We will catch you then. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.